How many has a story? I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to speak. But how many has a story of restoration in your life? Okay, let me, let me rephrase that. Maybe you won't feel as singled out. If you, ever, you were ever involved in the world and you were captivated by the world and how it had to offer and that's how you lived, just like everybody else around you. But somehow, some way, God miraculously got your attention. He brought you out of the, the things you were in and to a place of knowing him. Now, how many has a, an experience like that? I see a lot of hands not going up. They should be going up. Man, pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. You know what, what it was? There was another in the fire with you. Uh, you didn't really know it, but there was another one in the fire. Um, there's a couple of things I want to say on an unspiritual note. There's a lot of people that signed up for the, the chili cook-off tonight, and that's great. But not a lot of people signed up for other stuff that was on the list back there. And Alicia's been biting her nails and, and doing everything here. So if, if you can see the list on the, uh, on the table out the back, uh, please see that for her, if you would. I'll let you take this back because I'll keep it. But anything has to do with the chili cook-off, not the chili cook-off, but it'll just bring in chili itself. That'd be a great help and other, and other things too. Um, If you have your Bibles, I wanted to say something about the uh, Candy Palooza. A lot of people know what, didn't know what it was, and I didn't know what it was until we had it. But it's, it's basically kind of like we've always had. But, but I'm going to say something that's different. Um, everything that we've done was, was in good taste. There was nobody working a booth that had a scar down their face and blood hanging out and no zombies and no anything that gave any glory to the dark side of things, if you know what I'm saying. Some people have a, had some things going on that I would have been very upset if I'd seen our people conducting our functions and our games with the way they were dressed. We are, that is an alternative because the world in which we live in is very prominent on Halloween, about doing things for kids. And you can do things for kids without making them evil. You can do things for kids without making them evil. We had a, a great turnout here. I think there was 800 kids went through, and that's not counting parents and extra kids and things that came here uh, as well. And I tell you, it was, it was just a great outreach. It was a great ministry, and it was a great opportunity. But most of all, I appreciate everybody who was involved. Nothing was carelessly done. That you, uh, you represented Christ. You represented our church very well, and I really want to thank you for that. Um, I don't know if anybody here has chickens or not, but chickens. If you have chickens, raise your hands. Two, three, four, 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 four. Why don't you have some chickens? You can learn a lot from chickens. Y'all don't find it as humorous as I do. Well, there's a, we have chickens, and we've had, we had a whole lot. And I started leaving the chicken house open, and so they started disappearing one by one. And, and now we're down to three, four. We got three hens, and a, no, we had a hen pass away just this past week. We have two hens and one rooster. But the chickens are pretty smart. I've got 
the chickens I have left realized that out in the chicken house is where they were meeting their demise. So they, they decided, let's go somewhere where it's safe. So now instead of going to the chicken house, every time I go out to the side shed beside the garage, they're perched up in there on, on my fan. And needless to say, I'm going to lock them and put them in there. But regardless, chickens are not known to be very smart. Their head is about that big around. It cannot have that much of a brain. It can't. But there's certain things that they instinctively know how to do. They lay eggs, the females do. Uh, a fertilized egg, if they settle on it, they have a whole brood of, of, I don't know if it's a brood or what it's called, a whole bunch of eggs in a nest, and they'll set on it. How, long, how many here knows how long they have to set on their eggs before they hatch? Who had, who, who, wait a minute, who had, how many? 21 days plus. They, they can hatch in 21 days, and they can go to 23, 24, whatever. But they'll sit there until they hatch. How many of us, let's talk to the wind for just a minute. When you're first pregnant, you don't even know it. It may take a month, two months, maybe even up to three months, and you finally, something's going on here. And you go and you have ultrasounds done. You're so excited because this little thing is growing inside of you. But you can't really see the effects of the growth until it's a few months old. But what if you were like a chicken? This is kind of weird, but you had a chicken and you had an egg that you had to hatch. And you never, ever seen any life in it for a week. If it was me, I would never hatch any. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the patience to sit there waiting to sit on the egg. But, but it takes 21 days at least. But many of us would not have the patience to, to carry out our duties and responsibilities to hatch out the eggs. Let me go to my notes and read this. Sitting there day after day with no results. But even a chicken knows how to hatch an egg. How long will we how long will we wait how long will we wait for restoration? There's things that we go through in life and, and we think that when we come to Christ that instantly he makes everything better and he makes everything different. But there's some there's some things in your life that takes a while to get restored from. The women here would be glad if it only took 21 days sitting on the on egg, but it takes nine months. And nine months, they experience a lot of things, a lot of joy, a lot of excitement. I remember with Wanda on all of our kids, here laying on the bed, and this is landing there looking at her stomach. Oh, that sounds kind of weird, but you've done it too if you're, you've got kids and you're married. Just watch the elbow pop up and the foot pop up, and, and she would just say, oh, here it comes, here it comes. Oh, there we go. We get so excited. But you know what? Having kids would be a lot less fun if you never got to see the results and the progress. And the progress in, in, in each of our lives, with the Lord working in our life, restoring us to where we ought to be, is a process. Go to, in your Bibles to the book of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30. How long do I wait for restoration? How long do I wait for restoration? And, and along with that, what responsibility to, do I have in this restoration? Now, we can get, a, we can get excited and blow that, that song, Another in the Fire, when you get to the latter half of that and you're really starting visualizing him in the fire with the, the three of your children and even ourselves, you can really become a part of that song. 
But in our life, it takes more than just letting God do it all. A lot of times we come to a place where we have to do certain things. We have to get ourselves into, we can get ourselves into a mess very quickly by not, by not waiting. There was a lot of uh, going in and, and battling and taking over territory in the Old Testament. We're going to start with David. This is before he was a king. It was before he was king of Israel. You go to 2 Samuel, he becomes a king about the second chapter. But there's a lot going on in his life even at this point. Second, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 through 5. On the third day, when David and his men arrived at Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had raided the southern Judah and Ziklag, attacking Ziklag and burning it. And they captured the women and everyone, young and old, but they had not killed anyone. They only had taken them away. And when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found the town had been burned, and their wives, sons, and daughters had been taken as prisoners. The David and his army cried loudly until they were, until they were too, too weak to cry anymore. I don't know about you, but I tried to visualize myself living in a town. This is a long time ago, but they live in a smaller communities of what we do, but somebody coming to take in on my wife's, his wife's, my wife, and my three kids, and just taking them. Let me tell you, David had been on a, a, little, a little raid himself, and went to the, the land of the Canaanites and, and the Palestinians, if you will, and they had sent him home because they didn't want him to associate, they didn't want him to fight with them. Oh, there's a lot of history here. Um, the thing of David, he was an outcast because King Saul was in, still in power. And he was an outcast. He wasn't allowed anywhere that was near him. So he had to stay a distance, and he had these people that were with him. And they were all devastated, every one of them. Mourning is a natural thing. You know, Luke's not here, but last weekend was an extremely rough weekend on Luke. Uh, some of you know Luke, Luke Lancaster, and, and he'd been through a lot, of, especially with the, with the situation that happened with his dad. And, and mourning is, is normal. Crying is normal. Being devastated is normal. If you have anybody in your life that you've ever been close to, and they were taken from you, it's rather abrupt, and it's rather, it seems uh, useless, and you begin to blame God a, minute, a lot of times, and you always ask questions a lot of times. But mourning is, is normal, and you have to mourn. Mourning is a natural way of dealing with grief, brokenness, sorrow. Many make hasty decisions, too hasty, and they begin to live with regret. I want to tell you, these guys here had, was devastated. They came home expecting to see their wives and kids and everything gone, and their houses on fire burning, and their hearts were ripped out. I don't know about you, but a lot of things you begin to think, and I would begin to think if that happened to me. Many quit living because of grief, because of sorrow. You know what it becomes? If you're here today and there's things in your life because it were unfair, things that you dealt with that were uh, maybe not anticipated. I think the hardest thing to deal with in life is death. If you haven't dealt with it yet, you will deal with it at some time. 
my mother, when my father was killed, he was, he was 48. My mom was 46, 45, 45. And um, she made one decision. She made a decision to move back home where she used to live, and, and she built a house, and, and it was the worst decision she could have made at that time because it was one built upon emotion, upon the grief that she felt she needed to get, get away. But many times, your grief can become ungodly. I'm going to tell you there's a, a reason why I'm dwelling here for just a minute, because if you've not had grief yet, you will have. If you've not had your heart broke yet, you will have. I'm not saying that to make you depressed. It's a reality. It's part of life. Don't think you're the only one who's ever been through it. It, 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 it just is. But there is two, there's two types of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow, then there's an ungodly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 7, Paul deals with this and, and things that people begin to do when they begin to deal with ungodly sorrow. It's people who don't have any hope and they get miserable. You need to be careful when you go into troublesome times and things happening in life and you begin to criticize God and you begin to throw him under the bus for what has happened. It's so important you will never have restoration in your life if you don't deal with things right on, your, on a personal side. Time to realize that we're responsible to carry out this life. I'm going to use, I'm going to use King David, if, if, if I can, for just a second. Uh, keep your place there, but if you want to go to uh, Samuel chapter 12. And I will just read it. Second Samuel chapter twelve. We have David. David. And uh, verse twenty. This is when he had a child with Bathsheba through his affair, Uriah's wife. And he dealt with this. And, um, before he got to this place, he said that he was vex, as vexated his spirit was. He was so broken and devastated, the things they didn't understand. And, and I understand that. But look in verse 20. Then David got up from the floor, washed himself, put on lotions on, changed his clothes, and went into the Lord's house to worship. After that, he went home and asked for something to eat. His servants gave him some food, and he ate it. And David's servants said, "Why are you doing this? When the baby, why are you doing this? When the baby is alive, you refuse to eat, and you cried. And now the baby is dead. You get up and you eat food. Eat food." And David said, "While the baby is still alive, I refuse to eat, and I cried. I thought, who knows? Maybe the Lord will feel sorry for me and let the baby live. But now the baby is dead. Why should I go without food? I can't bring him back to life. Someday I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me." There's a reality of, of just. Being, being real with yourself in life. Some of you in here, I know the Coopers, <clears throat> a few years ago when they lost Brent, it could have been absolutely devastating to them. It could have been, and it still is at times, I know. But they had to continue in the life that God had given them. Verse 5. And David's two wives had been taken, Hinnom, Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. Uh, I wanted to include that. But verse 6. 
Then the men and the army were threatening to kill David with stones, which greatly upset David. Now, I want you to, if you're in your mind, if you could for just a second, think how David was. And how many times when we face something that we can't control, and especially death is involved or something like that, we begin to look for scapegoats and we look for, uh, for someone we can possibly blame or find the reason for. And that's what David was. These guys were following after David, abandoning King Saul and following after David. And David was stressed out. He was stressed out. But not only was he stressed out, his wives were gone, his kids were gone. And also he was responsible for all their wives. How did he get through it? The same way you and I have to get through things. Stress level was high and David got alone with God. I'm going to finish reading verse 6. The men of the army were threatening to kill David with stones, which greatly upset him. Each was sad and angry because his sons and daughters had been captured and David found strength in the Lord his God. In the King James Version, it says, and David, I think basically it says, David got alone. David found refuge in the Lord. There's a scripture in, in uh, the New Testament when Paul said to King Agrippa, I think myself happy. There are times in your life that you have to absolutely get yourself and look in the mirror and be real with yourself. There may be a lot of terrible situations. Your life may have really went south. But there's a place for restoration, and you can never have restoration in your life if you don't get honest with yourself and you look at yourself and say, you got to get this together. So how do you, many people have a variety of ways that they get spiritually uh, in tune or, or spiritually where they need to be. And I could ask you, and you can say, well, I, the way I get spiritually encouraged is I get in the Word, I begin to read, or I'll take, uh, maybe I'll put a praise or worship team uh, CD on and listen to it or find a radio or whatever it is. But there's ways you can get encouraged and you know who you are. You know what method it takes to get you to that place. When he got alone with God, that he was able to get the presence of the Lord. And then he had assurance. And he goes in. We'll read verse 8. And the Lord said, oh, wait, verse 7. And the Lord's, uh, and David said to Abathar the priest, bring me the holy vest. Now this is called a, uh, uh, the Urim and the Therim. <laughs> Kind of, kind of confusing. The pouch that he carried, the priest, and it had two stones in it. And one was probably black and one was probably white. And when they would reach his hand down in, they would pray before he reached into the bag and take out one stone. And then he would pray for direction. And others, he asked the Lord two questions here. He asked the Lord, should I, uh, per- let me go to my notes. I'll say the wrong one. Um, he strengthened himself. Shall I pursue them? And he pulled out, pulled out the stone. It was a white stone. So he put it back in the back, mixed them up. And after he said, should I pursue them? Will I overtake them? And he pulled out the white stone again. I know we don't do things like that today. I'd be having everybody line up, yes or no questions right here, right here, answered. <laughs> maybe you take a white stone up, maybe you take the black one, I don't know. But this is, this is how they dealt with a lot of things uh, in the Old Testament. And so David began, well, let me ask you, why did he ask? Why would he ask when he went before the Lord? His heart was heavy. All the guys are breathing down his throat. And everybody's making accusations and saying, if you hadn't kept us out fighting or in this war, or if you left 200 of us here to protect the, the home ground, if you did something, so they just continue to blame him. But 
Go down to verse, oh, I don't want to, I have to go back to my, verse 8. I've read it to you, and he asked him, should I catch them? And the Lord ch- said, chase them, and you will catch them, and you will succeed in saving your family. Wouldn't it have been easier if God just sent angels down there to protect their families from being taken and abducted? That'd be easier. But God doesn't really interfere with our lives that way. But why do you ask, will I catch them? Will I intercept them before they get home? Why do you ask the second question? You see, the Lord told him to go, but not only would he go, not only to go, but you will go and you will catch them before they go that far. He goes, okay, look in, there, look in verse 9. I'm going to wrap this up. I'll try. Um, and David's 600 men w- with him came to Besor Ravine, uh, where some of the men stayed. David and 400 men kept on the, other, on the chase. The other 200 men stayed behind because they were too tired to cross the point, the ravine. They found an Egyptian, verse 11. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And the same Egyptian, and they gave the Egyptian some water to drink and food to eat. They gave him a piece of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins. Then he felt better because he had not eaten of the food and eat. He had not eaten any food or drink in water for three days and nights. And David said to him, Who is your master? And where do you come from? And he answered, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. Three days ago my master left me because I was sick. I'm gonna stop there for just a second. I thought about God's providence in his life, in David's life, in these men's life, getting their families back and their families restored. And many times in our life, we don't think about all the little details that God knows about. He puts things in order for this to happen. Does that make sense? There's a lot of guys here who went through Teen Challenge, not Teen Challenge, Teen Challenge, too, but John 3, 16. And we have some girls here that went through John 3.16. And we have some people here that just went through some stuff. Old and some young. But they all went through some stuff. Maybe it wasn't Egyptian. But who was it in our life that God put there with the right information for us? Who was it? The label that gave us an opportunity to restore everything back in our family that, that, was there, that should have been there always. It was not by coincidence that this man was left there. It takes action. All his, all of his life, David was a man of action. And he got expected help. Usually he liked to figure things out, but this time he had someone given to him. An Egyptian. He was an informant. He could have killed him. You know, he made a deal with them that they wouldn't kill him. And he respected the deal. He probably remained with Israel from there on. I'll just read on. Verse 14. We had raided the southern areas of the Carathites in the land of Judah and the southern area of Caleb. We burned Ziglag as well. And David asked him, can you lead me to the people that took our families? And he answered, yes, if you promise me before God that you won't kill me and give me back to my master, then I will take you to them. So the Egyptian led David to the Amalekites, and they're lying around on the ground eating and drinking and celebrating with the things they had taken from the land of Philistines and of Judah. Um, 
Are we making sense here? The importance of the Egyptian and the importance of David being obedient. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of us want a lot of things from God. When we pray most of the time, that's our main, our, our main objective. God, I want this, or God, I need that, or God, this, whatever it is, it's, it's usually a selfish, in a sense, a selfish uh, prayer. But in this situation, David was having to go out above and beyond his own comforts. The same with you right now. It takes something from us about our effort that we put out. And what are we willing to, to put out? Are we willing to go out and, and take on those who, who've taken away from us? God always provides instrument, instrumental people in your life. I thought about us in this place. The guys who go to John 3, 16, it's just, it's just easy because I talk to them a lot. But It may have been somebody instrumental in helping you get in the program. It might have been somebody instrumental who was in there with you while you were in the program. Could have been a counselor, could have been a teacher, could have been a lot of things. But there was always somebody somewhere in this, in this journey that God has put there for you to make a difference. And what was the difference for? Was it just so you get off of drugs? Was it just so you get off of alcohol? Was it be just for you to have a, a more direction in your life? Or was it for other people too? See, the restoration was for more than just one. It wasn't just Dave and his two wives. The restoration he's in the process of doing was for all 600 men. All of them. Many times we want to think about ourselves, but, but God thinks about the bigger picture. I know at uh, John 3, when Tyson worked down there, he worked in the uh, body shop. And every car they had, they didn't do this, but a lot of them they do. They'll take the, take the car apart and take all the trim off and take the lights out. And, and I'm, I'm messing it up because I don't know nothing about cars. No. I'm, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they took the body off the frame and the motor out, the transmission out. So all they have left is the uh, frame part, just the part of your seat without anything on it. When they were doing a complete restoration, they'd work on the frame. They'd get their frame straight. If it was crooked, they'd sandblast it and they'd paint it, seal it. And then they'd go back and put brake lines on it. Then they'd put the motor on. Then they'd put the, the wheels and the transmission and all that. And then they then they'd put the body on it. But you got to remember, all these intricate parts all had to be redone and restored. It was a long time. It, took, it was a lengthy process. And he enjoyed it. He enjoyed it a whole lot. He didn't enjoy it enough to, to get into, involved in it when he got out, but he, was, he really enjoyed it while he was there. <clears throat> Many times the process is a little bit longer than what we're willing to put the effort in to receive the results. Go to verse 17. And David fought from sunset to the evening of the next day. None of them escaped except for 400 men who rolled off on their camels. David got his two wives back. And everything the Amalekites had taken, nothing was missing. David brought back everything, young and old, sons and daughters. He recovered the valuable things and everything the Amalekites had taken. In your life, you may be thinking, I'd like to have a lot of my family back, or I'd like to have this back, or I'd like to have that back, or maybe I'd like to have my wife back, or maybe you're divorced, or maybe you're estranged, or whatever's going on. But David... Not only put effort in, but he also got along with God. And I believe with all my heart there's people here that need some restoration in your life. 
Maybe it's the first time you've ever, you've ever even thought about Christianity. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe, maybe for something that was said that, that got your attention, about restoration, about God fixing things in your life that, that are, you thought were unfixable. <clears throat> this is just the way I am. Listen, just a minute. There was not a person in here. If you're an unbeliever, that's, that's a, all of us have been. There was not an unbeliever in this room that was born and designed that God called you to be anything but a believer. Just isn't. Every person in this room was called for a better design, a higher calling, something unique to go on in your life. You may not see it now. You may have never thought about it before, but there was so much more to you than just what you become. I wonder how many of us have just settled on what we've become and just left it at that. Never recognizing that God wants to restore us. Restoring is taking something that once was and and taking it back to splendor. Next verse. Oh, no more verses. I like how to come back. What needs restored? You know, I spoke a message a long time ago, and it only resonates with me because uh, Glenn Rogers, when they used to go here, um, he said, if something's worth fighting for, if something's worth fighting for, that's the only thing you really need to be concerned about. If it's not worth fighting for, then back off, let it go. And he said this so many times to me, for his family and for himself and and through, through a variety of other episodes in our lives. If something's worth fighting for, isn't it your responsibility to do it? Is it worth a fight to you? Even when you're tired and exhausted, and I know the 400 men were exhausted, it wasn't an easy job to do. They fought for a day and a half. Everything was restored. Wives, kids, the belongings, but look in your life and think about it for just a minute. What do you need to restore? A relationship with a kid? A relationship, listen to me, a relationship with your parents? A relationship with your spouse? What needs to be restored? If you think that God's gonna fix it, just, just make it all better, it takes a little work on our part. It's like ownership here at the church. I've said this for many years. And Jerry Frederick is also always re- to, I think about him every time I say this. When he first started coming to this church and he made light of coming, he was kind of this cool guy, you know, wore a cowboy hat and, and all stuff, kind of Jerry. But, but he goes, he said, when, and I said, but when you walk across a parking lot or anything that you do, if you seem to some, some, something that needs to be put up, do it. And I'll never forget exactly how I said it, but he picked up paper, something in the parking lot that had nothing to do with him. And made him, remember, this is my church. It's my responsibility to take care of things. It's the same way with you in your life and, your, and your, the things you want restored. If you want something restored, you've got to do something. You've got to seek the face of God and have a peace about it. And God will give you the right answer. I made reference to John 3 already, but one thing I wrote down about these guys well, before I do, what needs restoration? Your marriage, your kids, finances, health issues, direction, your life. Maybe you just need hope again. We have a lot of guys from John three sixteen and girls from three seventeen. 
There's a price to pay. They spent a lot of years. Joe, how old are you? 38 years old. You know, it would be nice if when he went to John 3.16, that had been enough. I'll just go to John 3.16, go for six months, and everything would be better. But there was a price to pay for those six months. It wasn't just him paying the price. His wife was paying the price too. But they both seen something that was worth salvaging and worth fighting for. If you're 30, 38, 48, 58, it doesn't matter. You have spent years preparing yourself for something else. Had a lot of stuff, they had a lot of stuff going on in their life. And they went down there, it's just the beginning. It's just knocking the rough edges off so you can begin to function and begin to grow when you walk with the Lord. If you want restoration, it's a lot more than just going to the program for six months or, or a year. But it's amazing to see the faithfulness of God after these guys get out. Tyson, David, Joe, Jeff. It's amazing to see the progress if that they continue in their walk and their, and their work of restoration and giving herself unto the Lord and separating herself. It's amazing how things begin to come together in their life. Wife gets a new job. And business is blessed. Go from driving an old, old car because I can't afford it, but I'm happy. I'm content, man. This car has, has been a lot to me, and, and it got me where I needed to go with my job. And, and then another opportunity came open with, with, with a another car and, and, then, and then more jobs come up and, and I just get, begin, to get, begin to walk in blessing. It's the beginning, a little more so, but the beginning of restoration. It doesn't come in instantly and it may not be done as quick as you like it, but, but at least endure until it does. two passages this one we'll close with you have an open altar if you've never asked Jesus to your heart you never ask him to your heart this would be a good day there's a guy named Job and Job 42 After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord gave him success again. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had once owned. That was Job. He had a lot of success, but he had failure after that. Everything was taken from him. And the last scripture I'm going to share is in Psalm 71. and bad times but you will give me life again when I am almost dead you will keep me alive you will make me greater than ever you will comfort me again I will praise you with a harp I trust you my God I will sing to you with the liar the Holy One of Israel 
I shout for joys, joy when I sing your praises because you have saved me.